So here we are with a special edition of Mastering Dungeons. We are here at GameHole Con 2021. The panel that we're doing is called Dark Fantasy and Horror, Keeping the Terror in Game. Uh, I'm Sean Merwin. I'm being joined by Greg Marks and Teos Abadia. So why don't we start with introductions? Greg. Hi. Yeah, I'm Greg Marks. Uh, I am the content manager for the D&D Adventures League. Uh, I have a fair amount of experience writing horror-related adventures. I wrote for the uh, horror grimdark setting Midnight. I've done some work for Ghostfire Press. I've written for Shadow of the Demon Lord and uh, ample number of Ravenloft adventures as well. Uh, Teos? Hey, folks. I'm Teos Abadia. I'm an RPG freelancer by night, uh, trying to do environmental work by day. And I've had a number of times that I've been fortunate enough to contribute to horror adventures, whether it's uh, Ale Ravenloft or Dungeon Magazine or other efforts like that. And somehow I just keep writing little bits of horror, even though it's not a genre that I naturally uh, think of when I'm trying to do a new project. Uh, And I'm Sean Merwin. Uh, I've been a freelancer since 2001 uh, with Wizards of the Coast Organized Play. And at the beginning of this year, I became the executive lead designer for Ghostfire Gaming, which publishes a dark fantasy setting called Grim Hollow. Um, The third book of the Grim Hollow series is being worked on right now, and it's called The Monster Grimoire. The first two books were a campaign guide and a player guide that dealt specifically with dark fantasy and horror gaming. So that's our a curriculum vitae, if you will, with that uh, with this genre. And so now we're going to get into the crunch of our talk. And I'm going to sort of ask some questions and then answer it uh, with, with the panelists. And then if you have thoughts, questions, comments, feel free to chime in. Uh, so the first question is, why do we as human beings like dark fantasy and horror? You would think we wouldn't, considering, you know, how horrible real life can be at times, but but we keep coming back to it. So why? Psychological. Uh, there's a lot of good studies. Uh, there's even in Robin Law's book, Hamlet's Hit Points, he talks about it a little bit. The idea of these sort of horror shocks that we get in our uh, not real life help inure us to things that are in our real life. And so in some ways, it gives us a relief. So even though something could be horrible, we kind of seek it out because these little, these little horrors help us feel better about things. And so psychologically, that's in the back. Also, it's often just cool. I think it also amps up a lot of the typical experiences of D&D or RPGs. We, it sort of feels like another level beyond. So there's a difference between sitting down and playing like a spy genre game and then playing a horror game. It just feels like, well, okay, like I'm a little more awake when I sit down at that table with the expectation that there'll be these various elements that are going to surprise me and excite me and, 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 and maybe scare me. When you think of drama, uh, like all the games we play, even if they're funny games, they're drama because drama is taking something we want and putting danger between us and it. Um, and so that's like any heroic quest is basically that. We're going after the sword. We're going to rescue the prince. We're going to slay the dragon. Uh, that's the goal. And then there's all these steps. Horror is almost the opposite of that, right? The horror is we just tr- want to survive this. 
Uh, we just want to get through this. So it tells – you can tell a different story where the, the drama isn't we're going after something. It's just we're trying to be and things are being thrown at us. And so I think that can really catch people's imaginations as being sort of the opposite of the normal story, the normal quests that we sometimes see. Now – oh, go ahead. I might also add that in horror we often have a situation where our characters are a little more mundane – or they're in a more mundane setting, uh, and then the it allows our, our us to have sort of very atypical stories and experiences. So, like if you think of Call of Cthulhu, a lot of times our characters are somebody who's like, oh, you know, I'm an accountant, and I'm here to you know add up the numbers on this estate after this person passed away, right? Very mundane, and then amazing things happen to us, and often it cre- it lends itself that genre to having some really neat interplay between the different uh, characters, especially if it's like a one shot with pregens. And and you can empathize with it more. Right, you have this feeling of, I well, I, my uncle's an accountant, or I, I, you know, I definitely have some sort of more connection to this. So it makes the experience a little bit more personal. And we might bring this up again later, but that's sometimes why D and D might not be the best vehicle for a horror game, is because in most editions of D and D over the years, the the default assumption is you are you are heroic at level one. You know what you're doing. You've got your stuff together. And horror sort of takes that competence away from you. And so players expecting to to always be powerful and always know what's going on and always have a handle on not only their own powers but everything going on around them, uh, it it doesn't jive with, with what they're expecting. Yeah. We might get to that later. And if we don't, ask again. Because yeah, yeah. The the question was, how, without neutering characters in D and D, how do you, you know, capture that feel? And uh, and I think we'll get to that in a minute. And one thing I could add is just, you know, dark fantasy versus horror, right? So one thing that works really well in D and D is more your The Witcher style thing, where you are quite competent, but there are horrid things around, and you're enjoying that interplay with the horrid things that you are besting. And, and you can play between those, right? And then we can do the things that we'll talk about. Yeah, that's one of the things I think we'll, we'll touch on, this idea that you can make it perhaps a more gritty or noir setting or something of that nature where the, you're, you're building, you have this slow build of horror and the odd settings that might still kind of creep you out but won't be quite the, the horror movie setting that other uh, types of games are, are more suited to. And what, one thing that D&D has that's great is tiers of play. So you could really hit the horror things hard at levels one to four, and then as the characters grow in power, you can sort of switch over to that more dark fantasy feel, and you might have to leave the horror behind. If a character can cast a wish, <laughs> that, you know, you, you can... It's, but any high-level plays like that, right? Challenging, challenging characters at those levels. So you're almost playing a different game or a different style of game in those different tiers. And uh, well, I like to see, like, this, this is called dark fantasy and horror, but there are, there are two different things. Uh, I like to think of horror as the characters are being overwhelmed, whereas dark fantasy is the characters are kind of taking part in the horror uh, and have the possibility of becoming horrors themselves while they're fighting the, the horrors that they're facing. Uh, so we, we've talked about why do we like 
dark fantasy and horror. So let's talk about how do RPGs handle it. Um, when when D and D first came out, many adventures were sort of horror related to start with. We have a whole adventure that's popular called Tomb of Horrors. So I, you know, the, the title says it all there. Um, and you know, and I might add, like we we played as if it was a horror event, right? We would. And, and if you're playing basic AD&D, like you would be so scared of every room and what might be in it because the way the game was written, it could very easily overwhelm you. And so I know we spent you know, a half hour prodding things in an empty room, tossing in a stone, and then we'd go to the next room do it again, and our DM would be like, come on. <laughs> but if we didn't, we might be completely murderized by green slime that dropped on us or something like that. Yeah, and I think we that didn't leave right like there were several others that came after that right the various creepy towns and cults various like horror was always kind of a part of the game and uh but interestingly enough D D didn't at least initially build any rules for that sort of thing i mean there was a save versus fear right that's about it but it has definitely made an effort to evolve but some settings midnight grim hollow have really taken that to a different way and tried to look at ways that you can deal with it. I had a great point. I just completely lost it. But it, no, if you think of the monsters themselves, they're horrifying creatures. Right? Imagine fighting a displacer beast. We don't think of that as a horror monster. But if you move that to a movie setting where somebody has a baseball bat and that's all they have and they're swinging at this creature that's like a a panther but so much worse with tentacles and every time they swing in this direction they get hit from this direction right that's a terrifying thing but sometimes in D&D we're like oh it's a displacer beast i have disadvantage until i can hit it once and you know and we intellectualize it right away without actually feeling the horror that that creature would be if we were actually having to to face it uh and you think back to the adventures, you know, we talked about, he talked about the, the spooky town adventure, which is against the cult of the reptile gods. It's not the dungeon that kills you. It's the cultists in town that are slowly watching you and waiting for you to separate from your group, and then they're going to, to uh, pounce on you. There's the haunted house adventure, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh. Turns out it's not really a haunted house, but that horror, the creaking floor, the abandoned house, you know, that's a, that's a horror story uh, moved into D&D form. Yeah. Anybody? Uh, and Ravenloft. Well, obviously, and then, and then, you know, we get into the first official sort of horror uh, adventure, Ravenloft. Um, so let's, let's talk about running horror games. What are some things that you should do if you are going to say, I'm going to run a horror campaign, a horror game? You know, what steps should you take? Let's break it down to before, during, and after the game. Um, so anybody want to take before the game? Sure. So uh, one thing we've seen that has changed greatly in the gaming industry is a really good acknowledgement of safety tools and discussing with your players before you ever launch a campaign, making sure that everybody's on the same page and likes what they're doing. And we've abandoned that idea of the DM is here to you know, beat you up and torture you, and, and especially recognition of the, the horror genre has a lot of aspects that may be problematic for certain people. And so uh, we see in Van Richten's and, and also in supplements by fate and, and other systems that they will talk about 
how to prepare for your game and establish rules, checklists, what, what are we good, what, what's a system by which we can tell each other, hey, I'd like to pause, move away from this. And that's a critical thing to start out, making sure the game is one everybody's liking. Yeah, and it's, it's best to start with the question to your players, do you want this? Because some of them, the answer might be no right away. And then, so even before you get into a session zero or safety tools, just be like, hey, you know what, I was going to run a horror game. Um, you, I might have to do some different things than I would in a normal D&D game. Are we good with that? And if the answer right away is no, then, then you know, I would drop it right away because you're going to be building upon a very shaky foundation from the start. And assuming it's a, a home game or a group that you know, you can, you can already probably make some assumptions. I'm thinking of a good friend who was here for this convention who is terrified of puppets. And his home DM decided he was going to run one in a puppet store with evil puppets. And the main character was an evil puppet. And, like, it, that's just a bad move, right? You know right away that the person's not going to have a good time. So why are you, why are you torturing them? And, and if during other games your players sort of chomp at the bit when you take away any sort of agency from them, you can sort of see that if you try to do that in a horror game, that's the reaction you're going to get. Um, so un- unless they are willing to own that that is something that might happen in the game and they're okay with it, um, that there's a clue right there. And the idea of separating into the genre of horror is a very useful thing to do before you start. Um, Fifth Edition has done that very well by saying, hey, we're actually going to make each domain this one's body horror, and this one's you know some other uh, gothic horror, and this and so on, and that creates a really good mental tool for the DM to think of as they're designing things, or a publisher if you're publishing something that you can label it so that the players know what they're going to get beforehand. So those session zeros are super important, um, not only to get everyone's buy-in, but to sort of then tell the players. Um, what the experience is going to be like without going into details. And so you can ask them not only what scares you and what should I avoid, but if you create a character, what are they going to be afraid of? Because then you can start building your adventures around those things that the players are okay with, but the characters are going to be acting in a certain way, and you can start building your adventure or tailoring a published adventure around those points. Uh, so, and one of the things that you can also then do, even if it's a, uh, published adventure that you don't have characters in mind for, I've had great success writing adventures where you build in connections at the beginning. So here's an NPC that's helpful. Here's an NPC that you meet two or three times. Here is, uh, at the start, you get a call for help from a relative. So one of the characters gets a, an instant connection to someone that they should care about at least somewhat. And once you have those sort of connections or even implied connections, then you can play off them. So now you have something that you have to protect. You have a, you have a stake in this game. You can't just run away. And that sort of makes you that horror build. Like you have a fear of losing something and now you basically, you have to play the game and assumedly we're all here to play the game. So you have a reason to care. All right. Anything else uh, before the game that, yeah, the question was in session zero mapping connections between the player characters themselves and maybe any, any important NPCs. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that's, that's good for any game. 
um, and, and for a horror game, you know, even more so, right? Because then you're setting the stakes early, and then you can play with those stakes. And, and we see that in some of the fifth edition products, where, um, like for Rime of the Frost Maiden, which has some horror angles to it, where they will give these secrets to each character, right? And it's a very simple way to do it, but it's something that can activate later and be a little surprise or a connection or, or a role playing hook. Uh, and we see it in other role-playing games that focus on horror all the time, which makes them really very good at that, where you say, like, hey, we're all here. Like, I played a, a game this weekend, and we were all here to, to go to a, a nice super hippie-ish retreat where we're in India, and we're going to, you know, commune and all this sort of stuff. But, hey, I'm actually a reporter. And, hey, that person's actually looking for someone who's missing. And, hey, and, you know, so then there are these agendas and hooks that will cause this interplay, and it led to just a fantastic session. Another thing you can do, I've had success with, uh, I won't spoil which adventure it is, but there is an adventure that's a horror adventure that I've written that's currently available where all the NPCs assume an agenda that you didn't have. And then not only that, they just keep assuming it no matter what you do to the point where you begin to question if something's wrong. Is the horror that I've forgotten? Am I, am I, do I actually, am I actually this other person? Did I have this agenda? And assuming that you're the people that you're running for have signed on for that sort of gaslighting, then that can actually build. We actually had characters stop to work, walk, hmm, stop working together because they began to fear that one of their own number was the actual murderer because things just kept pointing at them. Uh, anything else for before the game? And oh, go ahead. The question was taking stuff away from players to enhance the horror experience during the game. Well, and I think even whether it's at the start, right? And, and so that's a question. So I think that if you were to do something at the start, you want to keep in mind that players generally are here to play the character they designed, and they're excited about that. And so if you turn something off, it's like they lost something. And that can be a negative, and they can feel like you're, you know, why are you hurting me? Um, so if, if I were to do something like that, whether published or in a home campaign, I would want to advertise it as, as sort of like the fulcrum for like a cool thing you want to overcome, right? You have come into this town and you wake up and you all realize that something has been taken away from you by someone. And now they're like, well, who? Because I want to find that person. It's no longer the DM just throwing a blanket rule. There's now like a challenge on the table that needs to be unraveled and it's part of the mystery, right? You have all lost one thing. You lost your dark vision and you lost like what happened, right? And all you can think of is that last night you met this old man who said the following, right? And now we're off. And that can be a neat way to do something from the before. The during can be good, but you want to be careful that um, if you just take my dark vision away for an entire session... I may not feel that. But if you craft an encounter where that really matters and that happens, then that may be very interesting and solving it may be a really neat part of that encounter experience. And I think if you are doing a session zero and you all, all make some agreements, for example, the DM says, I need everyone to be human because you're all, I want you to, to think about how you're all related. You're all part of the same family or things like of that nature then it's not so much that I've taken away a thing from a character you had planned to make. It's that we've all agreed we're telling a certain kind of story. And with that social contract, it's not nearly as bad. Uh, and also Tasha's Cauldron of Everything has the customizing the race options. So even if you had someone who's like, well, I really want to be a dwarf, 
like, okay, well, maybe we can work together to give you something else instead of Dark Vision so that the story can be told the way we all are planning to tell it. I'll also add that uh, in the um, uh, Van Richten's guide, there are these neat concepts around, I forget what the name of it is, but the, the sort of like uh, adjunct characters that you can use. They're not side... Are they sidekicks? Or? Yeah, they gave a different name. I think they used a different name, but it's sort of a sidekick-type mechanic that you can use even as stand-ins for the party members, and that's a way that you can say, like, okay, while your heroes are off doing this thing, let's pan to the village. You're each going to play a villager. And now, because they're not your characters, it's not personal if you, you know, nerf them in some way or, or do something to them, or even if they die. And that can be really cool, because it's a way that you can put them into a very vulnerable shell for a session and have a really neat situation happen. Uh, season 10 of AL does that uh, in the first couple of ventures where you have your uh, a group of NPCs that you manage to survive an avalanche with. And now you're trying to survive the environment. And there are a couple of scenes where almost certainly someone will die. So the NPC is in story no- maneuvered into the situation where they are basically the one who are likely to die. And you, of course, can try to rescue them. But it builds that horror, right? If, wow, we started out as eight people. And we're five now. And clearly we've run out of NPCs to lose. It's going to be us next. It's that mounting horror is uh, typical of the genre. All right. So covered before the game. Let's talk about during the game. Uh, the, the first thing that I wanted to mention about during the game is if you talked about safety tools in, in session zeros and before the game starts, explain them you know, thoroughly again during the session and actually use them at some point to show the players because many times I've been in games or run games where uh, I show the safety tools and they never even, not only don't they get used, they, they don't even come up at all in times when maybe they could have. So I would like work with a player and you know, I'll say, hey, Bob, you know, during this first session, I'm going to mention this. Just use this, use a safety tool just to show everybody that, A, it's okay to use, and B, this is how, the process of using them. Just sort of a teaching moment, even if it's not. That makes the rest of the players more comfortable using it because Bob over here has used it. Um, then while you're running the session, keep an eye on potential problem areas just to see how the players react. So if there is something that's really horrifying or scary or gross and you think they might have a problem, you know, just as you're running the game, just keep an eye on everyone. See if anyone gets queasy. See if anyone shakes their heads. You know, look for those cues. Um, and then later you'll be able to adjust if those things happen. And it, it can be surprising how quickly that can happen if you're running for folks who really don't like horror or, say, kids. Um, I ran the... Sean, your adventure that has the five intros for Tyranny of Dragons. Um, no, the other one, the, the, the Flan one. Defiance and Flan. Yeah, Defiance and Flan. And there's the one where you just go into the tomb. And I just sort of described the steps down in this tomb in a creepy way. And the kids were this close to Anim out, right? And I'm like, oh, I've got to really back off of this now because it was very clear watching them that they were getting really creeped out. Can we turn on more lights on? Yeah, let's do that. You know, let's take a break, get a snack, and let's come back to this, right? You're good. Uh, so during the game, is there anything else that you would do uh, keep in mind when you're specifically running a horror or a dark fantasy game? Oh, Yeah. I had a game where we did uh, introduce the X card, all the tools, and talked about what was in the, in the game. It was body horror. 
and everyone was fine except one person didn't realize that when the body of work got personal, they couldn't take it, and so they X-carded. Um, but the entire encounter was about that personal body of work, right? So can you talk about some strategies? How do you back out of that? Right? How do you step away so that they're fine and, and you can continue? Well, for me, nothing uh, disrupts horror like comedy. Um, so if, if you can find either another player or yourself to as soon as and then you know make a joke about it uh or not joke about the person obviously (laughs) we're not picking on the person but but try to try to bring something comedic to the situation that's going on draw the attention away from that then it's it's less uh awkward than just trying to go beep 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 put that truck in reverse and try to get out uh dm online that describe the, their X-Guard system they were using, and what they said is, you know, when you're watching uh, Star Wars in, in the, the prequel trilogies, and there's that scene where it's like, you know that they went into the temple, and then someone said, and we can just leave it at that, that we know that something bad is happening to all the young Jedi, but we don't have to show it, right? And that's a good example of sort of you can just fade away with the information that's needed to process and know how terrible it is. We don't need to see that, right? And that's sort of a, a good way that I'll try to, if, if a situation comes up, we can say like, okay. And so we're going to fade and, right? I'll make this point. One thing I like to do to sort of ramp up a little bit of horror is separate the characters. Um, Especially in terms of something like someone steps through a portal or someone gets teleported or a door closes between one party and the rest. Um, That ramps up the horror a bit, that isolation. But what we normally do as DMs then is we describe what the one player is seeing, the player who has gone away. To ramp up some dread, some horror... Don't go with that one person. Let them sit for a second. Go to the other players. He just stepped through this portal. What are you doing? One, two, three, four. If you get to six, that's one round. One, two, three. And the person who went through the portal and doesn't know that it's there is freaking out. Because if there's something bad going on in there, they're facing that by themselves while everyone else is, is hesitating. And the people who have he- are hesitating are like, what do we do? Do we want to step through? Maybe they just died. What do we do? And, and you know, so there's this, there's this panic right away. And, and the counting, the, the time, making, uh, making known that the time is passing, but you don't know what's happening during that time, you know, move the die from 10 to 9, 9 to 8. So everyone can see it, you know, just just that small bit of acknowledgement that time is passing or something might happen at the end of a certain amount of time is enough to really ramp up the adrenaline. And don't be afraid to rely on it's an old DMing trick like you can pass a note, right? So the idea of passing notes definitely ramps up horror as well. You know, somebody says, well, I go search this room. Oh, I'm not going to say what it is out loud. I'm going to pass you the note. And I've, I mix those notes up. Sometimes they have useful information, but I also sometimes have things that's a note that just says, roll a wisdom saving throw. I'm not going to use it, but they, they, they've rolled a wisdom saving throw and they've told everyone that they got a, you know, a 19 on their wisdom saving throw. And I'll just go, "Mm," and then, you know, move on while they're in the other room. And everyone's like, "Well, well, what happened to him? You don't know. 
you're not in that room. First of all, death, character, player character, death. Um, it seems that a lot of games have started coming off of that, where you don't, you know, it's harder to kill a character. Um, when you're doing horror, though, or, or, you know, dark fantasy, if you take away that possibility that they're going to die, how do you keep the horror to it? Because then there's, there's no real fear that their character's not going to make it through. You know, I started running like 4th edition Call of Cthulhu, and now I'm in the 7th edition, and you can almost not kill a character. You know, where we used to come in with three or four characters per session, it's now you play the same character for, you know, seven, eight, nine, you know, a whole campaign. So how do you keep that fear of character death without actually killing them? And then how do you keep the overall fear of, you know, just... Um, always happening, you know, always having that background fear um, because as a GM who's been doing this for a long time, especially horror, I'll run sessions and my players seem to like it, but I'm like, there was nothing scary that happened here. You know, is it just a desensitization of myself or is it, you know, I've got to work harder or do something different to get that fear factor there again? comment on what non-death horrors you can inflict on uh, So that is exactly my thought. Life is not the only thing you can lose. So to use your Cthulhu example, if you play a Cthulhu campaign and your character gets through those seven adventures, are you even close to the same person? What's your sanity? What sort of corruptions or morals have you given up to try and you know, stop the the horrific creature from beyond. Uh, what friends and family, personal wealth have you lost? So one of the things that you can do is build in those sorts of losses. So even in D&D, D&D has a somewhat problematic madness mechanic. It has those sorts of role-playing connections. Uh, there's a good adventure uh, Riddle of the Raven Queen, where you potentially lose ideals and bonds. Like you, you can potentially lose your memories. And one of the ways the adventure deals with that is, you know, what's the thing you care about most? You no longer remember it. And other people remember that you should. So that's constantly, you know, reinforced that you no longer have this thing and you have an urge now to try and I, I feel like I'm supposed to care. So maybe I should try and figure out why I don't remember this person or why I no longer care about my personal honor or something of that nature. When I look at horror, I think there is that you can become inured to things that should be the most scary, right? So if we think of, like, seeing Cthulhu, it's on T-shirt and, bump and bumper stickers, right? Like, I don't look at it and go, ah, right? And, but we want that effect in, our, in the characters, and it's hard to evoke that, right? But that can still be a lot of fun to see Cthulhu. So it can still work and be pleasing, but, but that is not what I, when I'm designing something, that's not what I plan on working, right? What I might do is say something like, uh, if you think of something like an alien, right? The idea of a creature that is so fearsome and it can attack you and get away, and you're not sure when it's going to come back. And we can build mechanics into monsters so that they work that way, and they can get away. Uh, and that 
knowing that at any point it might strike is dangerous, right, and is, and is fearful. Uh, Strahd, as someone that initially you know you can't beat, and they're just inviting you into their home. That kind of thing is, 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 has that scary element. Um, the overall story arc that you are learning of something that is very sad and terrible, right? Like, I think sadness is one of the great things you can use with because it, it's, it's empathetic, right? And so we react to someone's loss and someone's sad story by empathizing with it, and we kind of internalize that in a way that we don't if we just see a picture of something scary. So I try to use those kinds of tools to, to really have the story pull the players in to where hopefully at the end of a session what you want is that the players are like, oh, what is going to happen next, right? And none of it has to do with jumping out and scaring you. Does that help at all? What are your guys' thoughts on using music, background music? I think it's great for the right group. Uh, and, and it really all depends on you or the players. Um, you know, I've had players that loved it, and I've had players that were just distracted by it the entire time, depending on, you know, their, their mental makeup, basically. I find that I'm always wanting to toy with the playlist, and it never is at the right place when I want it to be. So I tend to not use it. Or if I use something, it's something that's just in the background, and it's just going to always be a small, you know, theme of whatever. Um, more powerful, I think, are things like dim lighting, um, decor, and and then where I really like to spend my time is things like, you know, if you're playing a, a, a one-shot adventure where you are working on those pre-generated characters and giving pictures of who they are, um, setting the scene that way, making the table look neat. Like, I think that's time well spent to just kind of pull you in a little bit. And I find, uh, so sort of an in-between version with music there, uh, especially nowadays where having a computer is so much easier. Uh, for a number of adventures, I will queue up five or six songs or sound effects, and I will start to play them like a round or two before they're about to encounter something to sort of build. And then after we've gone through a round, I'll noting that, as Sean noted, some people get distracted by it. Now that we're in the thick of it, I will often then kill the music. So and just go back to the game and, and just rely on the dim lighting or the, the various props that you have out to continue the mood. But I think that as humans, we have a very uh, visceral connection to music. And it certainly is, can play on people's sort of subconscious fears when the sort of creepy music plays or the, the weird child giggling starts to happen, like the monster. And then don't always have the monster attack. Is it going to come right now? Where'd it go? Well, why, why isn't it here? I don't know. Uh, I think that leads to the... This goes back to the, the character death thing. There's a, uh, two different kinds of horror games, kind of. There's the one where you're scaring the players, but there's also the one where you're scaring the player characters, and the players may or may not be scared. Can you guys talk to that a bit? Or is it, 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 are most horror genres in RPGs about scaring the players, or...? I, I think it depends on the player. You know, some games, even if they're meant to scare the players, we intellectualize the process of the game, so we don't really feel what we should be feeling. This is a bit of a joke, but if you want to scare players, what you do is you scare the fact that you're going to take away their loot. <laughs> right? I mean, that's really the true horror, especially in an organized play campaign. It's sad, but true. It's hard to make players really, truly scared about... Um, the situation or what might happen, especially what might happen to their characters because they tend to think it'll be okay. But what you can do is things like if we, um, if we were to, to have a curse 
fall upon one character, and there's a condition under which it activates. Now they have a lot of trepidation about that triggering, right? But we have to craft it carefully. As you said, the madness rules are problematic. Exhaustion is problematic. A lot of the things that you think of, that if you just look at the rules quickly, you think would be you, you are good to use. Are you, you really kind of have to craft your own specific thing of what it is it that will affect this character and how? Um, and to go back to your earlier question of, of what can we do, you know, if, there, if we realize we've gone too far for one player, one of the things you can do is give them immunity to something, right? Like, okay, they were in a bar, body horror situation that was bad. We're going to fade away. Well, then this, you know, the old weird lady gives this person a charm that protects them from that creature. And now that player knows I'm okay, right? Uh, question. I played on a server, third edition D&D server, and these characters could max out at 40th level. They bring down Draco Liches right and left, but if you put a 19 hit point rust monster on the field, they freak out and run away. So thinking about what causes red, right, losing some piece of equipment you've acquired over years on the server was worse than having to roll up a new character. It's it's all what does the character, what does the player value most, and then how do you threaten that with the with the buy-in from the player? Uh, to move forward to that, separate oh, you from your gear. Separate you from your head. That too. Uh, as well. From your gear. Yeah. Uh, a couple of questions. Number one, you did mention that comedy is super useful in breaking up horror. What if you're not in that spot and you have a group of players that, you know, we, we all have had players or friends or whatnot that like to joke around about what's going on, and it breaks that immersion. Are there any tips on how to deal with that, aside from asking, hey, let's try to focus on, on this, and this isn't the moment, or whatever? Didn't, we never did it because the players had no interest in giving up any of their agency. The second one, it wouldn't work because the players constantly joked, and it just diffused any sort of horror. So it, it really just takes the buy-in. It, you know, do we really want this? Or run a comedy horror campaign. You know, do the spoof. Do the Saturday the 14th. Do the Cabin in the Woods or uh, Dale and Tucker versus Evil sorts of thing. And, and just run with it. And see, you know, that becomes the campaign you want. One thing you could try is asking the players to make all their humor in character. Right, so it's your character. The, the Call of Cthulhu I played night before last, we were crying, laughing, and then we were, oh no, that's horrible, and then crying, laughing about the things we were saying because we were so leaning into what our characters would do and would say and how absurd it was that it actually worked really well to break that tension. Right, which is a general tip for horror is that you want to go kind of up and down, right? And you can almost watch a horror movie and see like there'll be the like fake scare. Right? Like the thing you think is, you know, oh, it's around this corner. Oh, it's not. We relax. And then we get hit by the actual thing, right? Or we have a really tense series of tense moments, and then things relax and, and are funny. And, and so it, if we can use that and, and help get the players to help with that uh, and, it, and get their buy-in in that, then that works well. And it does go back to Robin Law's book on, on story beats, uh, Hamlet's Hit Points. Right? If you stay on the same beat for too long in any game, it's going to lose its effect. So you do want that moment of dropping tension and of, of rising tension to, to uh, yeah, go ahead. Do you think there is something to, uh, 
to uh, I, I know that we're provided um, a, a menagerie of different creatures and, and all of these different books to, uh, to present to characters to help uh, uh, feel the, the aspect of horror there. Um, do you think there's something just a just a just a, 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 an engaging narrative that just describes a creature and even even to players that that uh, who also like to enjoy those resources rather than saying like you run into a whole bunch of zombies you you don't even mention that they're zombies you simply say that they're shifting creatures that you know that uh, that are, are the remnants of the dead of, of you know of, 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 of the past or whatever and you don't and the, the players can are these zombies are these zombies are these zombies and you're like no they are this but you don't you don't ever say that they are. Did you read my notes? Uh, anything that removes player knowledge from the game will rise tension. Avoid detailing game mechanics. Just talk about effects. So, so yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's part of that, right? Rather than saying, uh, and you can do it with creatures, you could also do it with game mechanics. Rather than saying you're poisoned, say you just got stung by this horrid creature. You don't feel well. Next time they roll an attack roll, Roll that die again. Why? Don't worry about it. Just roll it again. Right? You oh, missed. you missed. Or you, you rolled. Oh, you got a natural 20? Uh, you hit, but it wasn't a critical hit. Why? I don't know. So instead of that, uh, one of the big things you can do, which some players are okay with and some players absolutely detest and will come over the table after you, <laughs> is you keep track of their hit points instead of them. Right? That ramps up tension big time. And you can say, you know, you know that you don't feel great, but you don't know exactly how many hit points you have. Um, again, no, that's one of those things where you're taking away some player agency for an effect. And sometimes they love it, and they love the effect of it, and sometimes it's just too much. But you, you can uh, experiment with these things. If it doesn't work, jettison it. If it does work, you can keep doing it. And I think there's something to be said for mixing up standard monsters with others. Uh, you want to use uh, creatures that they might not have seen. So whether that's, you know, grabbing one of Cobalt Press's books uh, on Toma Beast or Grim Hollow's upcoming Monster Menagerie or just making your own. And an easy way to do it is okay, I have a, a flesh golem, but I don't want to call it a flesh golem. So instead, it's a whole bunch of, like, animate corpses holding on to each other. And they, like, turn and, like, the eyes follow you. And when it tries to punch you, the individual arms try to grab you. The, the sorts of, like, creepy things you could add. And I'm just using a stat lock for a flesh golem, but they don't know that. And it seems like I suddenly this unknown gets added into it, and they oh, it's really creepy. It's got to be really bad, whatever it is. Yeah. I really think it's just how you describe the situation. Like you could have an encounter with a little goblin that, if you describe it in a way that oh, you lunge at it, but it has some unnatural uh, ability to maneuver quickly out of your your reach, uh, twisting the you know the, the sneak and. Uh, ability of the thing, it, it could suddenly be, oh, this is scary. It's not. It's not just a little goblin. I, I have a good one for that. So, uh, it and since I since we had just talked about comedy, you can you can wrap those two in. You start with something that's comedic, but it's actually horrible. And Ravenloft did this with goblins with a Y, right? They start out like, oh, a couple of goblins come out. 
ah, fine, not a big deal. This is not a horror moment. And then it turns out they have almost flip-top heads with giant fanged maws. And when they attack you, they don't use swords. They literally attach their fa- their mouths to your face and chew your face off with their serrated teeth. And so people are like, I run up to them to attack them because they're just these comedic goblins stumbling out of the woods. Well, they are. And then that sort of jump scare happens when they latch onto the first person's face. And things like, I mean, everyone loves a chestburster, right? Like when you're fighting, you're fighting this creature and it looks scary and then something breaks out of it, right? In round two, like what? Or I think uh, Van Richten says something like, you know, if you're fighting a monster and then something just shows up and kills that thing that you were fighting and then takes you on, right? Like that's a, oh, what? And use foreshadowing as much as you possibly can. Have something horrible happen. A victim of this certain monster who an hour after they encountered it explodes in a shower of gore. And you're like, wow, what, what happened there? We don't know. Then they go a little further through the dungeon, and one of them is injected with this thing that an hour later will explode out of them. And they're like, so they know what's going to happen, and now that counter is counting, and they only have a certain amount of time to figure out how to deal with that, and they know what the consequences are. Uh, Anything else for in-game? Yeah, go ahead. Um, So what do you do when, for example, an organized play, you have a character... Or a player who's just not interested in engaging. Like, I had a player one that is just any type of horror element. Some of the players are buying into it, but he's just like, my character's crazy. He just walks into anything. He's not scared of anything. Hmm. Really organized play, dude. <laughs> so, so you have a couple of options. Uh, you can always try to talk to the player. I mean, there's certain communications, a thing, right? You should definitely communicate with all your players whenever you can. Uh, but if, if the player is insistent that, you know, I'm not really here for horror, even though this is a advertises a horror adventure, uh, you can try to do your best to craft the story or to illustrate the horror for everybody else. When the crazy person walks in, right? I just walk in. Okay. Well, you were all waiting, right? The tension rises because you all assume the monster is going to jump them, but then it doesn't. Or you you see what happens. The buzzsaws come out and start to chew into the person and he starts taking all this damage. And you can describe what happens to that character and, and use it uh, to illustrate the horror for everybody else. As long as that player isn't trying to wreck the horror for others, they just don't feel it. You can try and craft your, that into your story. And I, yeah, I want to under, underscore that part that it really matters whether that is destructive to everybody else. Like there are some players who want to be really passive at the table, where right? they just want to perceive it, take it in, hear a good story, roll some dice every now and then. They don't want to interact with NPCs, talk to anybody, do things, and that's fine. That's what they want out of the game. It's if that bother, if that's impeding everybody else from having fun. So like in this horror example, if they just charge ahead fearlessly, if they trigger everything, and and they're doing it sort of to spoil it then I would take that player aside and say, hey, let's change this part because here's the effect it's having on the other people, the other five people or six people at the table, right? And they will hopefully understand that, that, you know, maybe I'm not here to wreck everybody else's experience, right? All right, so during the game, we've, we've given some tips, some thoughts. How about after the game? Um, what, what do we do in a, in a horror-based game? And my first thought is, you know, check in with everybody. 
How'd it go? Was it fun? Was it too much? Was it not enough? Turn the, turn the dial up to 11, turn it down to 7. You know, how, how do we handle this? Um, reassess their goals, both for the players and for the characters. Um, are, are we meeting the goals that the players wanted out of the game? Have the goals of the characters changed? And you need to know that because then you can figure out how best to challenge those goals to up the drama, to up the tension um, the next time you meet. Anything else along those lines? I've had good success. Uh, so horror campaigns work well when you're invested in your character, right? Again, the idea that you have potentially something to lose. You're trying to survive this with all of the other parts of you intact. And so one of the things I, a tool I use sometimes between adventures is the idea of a blue book or a journal. So your characters are returning home now in the next couple weeks. What are your plans? Are you going to try and spend a lot of time in the woods trying to decompress and feel better about this and like put it behind you? Are you freaked out about this and you go home and start putting boards over all your windows? You start building defenses. Is that, and then when we come back, you can tell everyone what they've seen over the last couple of weeks. Like Bob over here, like you don't think he's okay. Like your character noticed that he started prepping, like his, his house is a fortress now, or, you know, you, you actually gathered some information and you have some info that I can use as a story hook that will take us into the next adventure. I like to think about what, as a DM, especially in a home campaign, um, I like to think about what happened in that session, what kind of, tone it had what kind of genre of horror uh who was impacted and then look to vary that the next session right so if it was a certain type of experience i want to have it be slightly different because horror again works really well when it's it's not the same thing all the time so we don't build up that resistance so if the players were directly threatened a lot then maybe it's something that they care about that isn't them that will be threatened next time if we were dealing with body horror then maybe we go into more of a gothic feel and so on and so the the story will undulate and change and and, and twist and turn in unexpected ways and trigger different parts of that um, that impact for the players We've got about eight minutes left. Uh, are there any more questions? Yes. Yeah, can you guys, what are each of your favorite, favorite genres of horror and uh, why? And I know you'll probably talk about resources later, but you keep talking about Robin's Laws. What other books can we deep dive into if we want more? Like about Session Zero, X Cards, and the different kinds of horror we can read. That you can find on Drive Through RPG that deals with horror. I do not recall the name of it, but it's very good. Um, the old uh, adventure Vecna Lives has a surprisingly great section with tips at the beginning on how to make things scary. It's really good. Um, and what was the other question you asked? Oh, my favorite. Yeah, Hamlet Tip Points is great uh, for story beats. Um, so I, I am. The funny thing is, I don't really describe myself as loving horror. Like I, I don't like any kind of body horror, gore, anything like that. But I love things like aliens. So I guess I would say anything suspense. Like, that's what I really like is suspense. Um, the, the, but I, I do like telling a tragic story. So as a designer, what I really like is telling a story that you will unravel that mystery and feel that empathy for what has taken place and want to rectify the wrong. 
uh, where I am the opposite of Teos. I I love all the horror stories. I, it's actually really hard for me to pick a, a specific. In fact, I if you look at my adventures, they often oscillate interestingly between horror and something crazily lighthearted, like uh, the two uh, ones I've written for Gamehole, where the characters are literally house cats that are funny and and et cetera. Although there's a little horror in one of those as well. Um, I would say my favorite is probably cosmic horror, like a Lovecraftian type story. Uh, and largely that's because the characters can't beat it. Right. So I don't have to worry about like, Oh, you cast wish. That's fine. But the creature's effectively a deity and you can't actually like wish them out of existence or anything. So now you actually have to solve the problem and you have to, of course, that, requires the buy-on because you've taken a little bit of player agency away. They can't just use their knife level spell. And I'm in the middle. Uh, I love, I love the, like the dark fairy tale sort of thing where, you know, it's, it's more natural sort of fae based and, and it's as, as magical as, as it is dark, but it's also tempting. Um, and that's one of the reasons I signed on with ghost fair gaming is because in their, in their uh, setting, you know, you can become a lich. You can become a lycanthrope. You can become a, a, a dark fairy beast. And, uh, you know, there's, there's rules for it. Now, you, what you're giving up, though, to do that is, is a really cool story element. You know, how, how long do you want to stare into the abyss before it really starts staring back at you? Um, is something that I love in, to give the characters that option and then see how they handle that and how they deal with the consequences. And that's one of the things I, I loved about it too. It, it gives you the agency over how you change. I have to give something up. You have to give one of these three things up, which is the one you're going to choose. But you get one of these two things, which is the one you're going to choose. So you're deciding, like the player doesn't feel like it's been taken away because they're making the choice. Great question. Any other questions, thoughts, comments? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoy the next few minutes of your con uh, on this Sunday afternoon. But we appreciate you spending some time with us. 